0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high resolution solar proposals in minutes, and Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future.
1: Hello, and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Charles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, and joining me as usual is ITK director David Leach. David, how are you? I trust you are well.
2: Charles, I'm well. I'm sure all our listeners have been reading the papers and wherever they get their news from these days. What a fantastic week it's been uh, for us in, in in the electricity sector. We've seen uh, some very high spot prices for the last couple of days with hot weathers, but the long-term outlook, I think, is for much lower prices, as we're probably going to hear from our special guest today.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, Yes, look, the big news, I think, in the past week has been the unveiling of the uh, New South Wales Renewable Energy Plan. We did discuss it last week in our podcast and our interview with Tilt Renewable CEO, uh, Dion Campbell. But this week we have Matt Keen, the New South Wales Energy Minister. And David and I caught up with him on Monday on his way back from an announcement at Port Kembla. New South Wales uh, Energy Minister Matt Keen, uh, thank you very much for joining the Energy,
3: In- Energy Insiders podcast once again. Giles, thanks. thank you for having me.
1: Look, um, before we get back into the big announcement um, of last week about New South Wales Renewable Energy Plan, you're just on your way back from Port Kembla as we speak. Uh, what have you been announcing down there?
3: Look, on the back of our energy roadmap that we announced last week, uh, we're already seeing the private sector responding to that announcement. And today, Blue Scope launched a $20 million renewables manufacturing zone in the Illawarra. And uh, that's uh, not only... Uh, Great for that industry, but it will create about 300 jobs and help us provide the steel that we're going to need to build the wind turbines, the solar farms, and effectively the modern power system that we're hoping to uh, deliver for the people of New South Wales.
1: It seems extraordinary. Um, We'll get into the details of what you announced last week in the Renewable Energy Plan, but we now have state governments acting, we've got private capital moving to deal with this, um, with, with the opportunities presented by the energy transition. Why has New South Wales effectively had to go it alone on this plan?
3: Well, we know that in the next 15 years, four of our existing coal-fired power stations will come to the end of their lives. And I need to make sure that we replace that capacity before it closes to avoid price spikes and blackouts. And right now, if we just rely on the wholesale electricity prices to drive that private sector investment, then I'm concerned that the infrastructure is not going to be built in time or in a coordinated way, that's going to deliver cheaper, reliable electricity to the citizens and businesses of this state. So what we've done is provide a very clear roadmap that will give the private sector the confidence they need to replace the existing system before it closes. Oh, go on. I-, I thought I might uh, jump in there, Giles, if it's OK. I'd like to
2: congratulate you, Minister, uh, Matt, on the uh, um, uh, boldness of the plan and and its scope and its size, which I think it will take the entire sector a while to get to grips with. It's a lot more, I mean, there are a number of elements. It's quite a comprehensive plan, both in in terms of its size and in also its approach. Um, There are a couple of things about it that that, that are very interesting that haven't received very much publicity as yet. One of them is this idea that uh, having funded something like 12 gigawatts of new renewable energy and two gigawatts of dispatchable power uh, that, uh, that you might resell. The New South Wales government will essentially own a lot of electricity that it might resell to the retailers. Uh, how far along are you with the planning for that? And can you talk a little bit more about it?
3: Look, the focus is on making sure we deliver the cheapest form of reliable energy. Uh, that's exactly what the roadmap sets out to do and uh, we see that as hugely beneficial for the mums and dads of New South Wales and the businesses that operate here and we think that by uh, you know getting the system upgraded to deliver that outcome we can set ourselves up to be not only a renewable energy superpower but an economic superpower at the same time uh, we know the world is moving to uh, decarbonise uh, I mean, with Joe Biden now in the White House 70% of Australia's two-way trade will be with countries that uh, have signed up to achieve net zero emissions by mid this century. So uh, that's, that means markets that we uh, underwrite our prosperity are changing and we need to be positioned, especially by the 2030s, to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. So the choice is very clear. We can put our head in the sand and do nothing or we can grab these opportunities and make sure that we continue to be a prosperous, strong and successful nation. And I know which one I'm choosing.
2: So, so, so I guess, um, uh, you know, again, I want to congratulate you. we at IDK. Uh, we think power prices will be lower and consumers, both big and small, are going to, going to benefit from this scheme. Uh, so, so that's, I suppose, the most important point, uh, how have you, Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, politics of it? It seems to me that the National Party and the Labor Party have both got behind it to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, Have you had some... Do you want to talk about that just a little bit?
3: Well, I think everyone sees what the problem is. Everyone sees uh, or everyone has witnessed what happened after the closure of Hazelwood, uh, what is happening uh, because of the closure of Liddell, where government is stepping in to build uh, that dispatchable capacity um, because the market has failed. Uh, so, everyone has seen the problem and everyone also agrees on the solution. How do we deliver cheaper, reliable electricity? How do we do it in a way that creates jobs and drives investment into this state? And this plan will create uh, over 6,300 construction jobs uh, over the next decade. Uh, it'll con- create 2,800 ongoing jobs. It'll see about $58 billion worth of investment coming into New South Wales between now and 2042. So it's in addition to that, it'll deliver some of the cheapest electricity in the world. I mean, on average, households will save about $130 per annum, and businesses will save about $430 per annum, and based on the modelling that we've done. We think that we will be in the top 10% uh, of countries uh, when it comes to cheap electricity, in fact, number three in the OECD. So um, I think cheap electricity creating jobs and driving investment in the state is something that we should all be uh, agreeing on. And it just astounds me that it's some of these uh, fringe voices in New South Wales politics like One Nation, they want to vote against this package because they don't want to support jobs, they don't want to support cheap electricity, and they don't want to support our nation's future.
1: Mm. Have you talked to um, the Federal Energy Minister, Angus Taylor, about this? Um, has he sent you a message of congratulations?
3: Yeah, I certainly have. I mean, Angus has been a key supporter in ensuring that New South Wales is able to go in this direction. I mean, we had a $3 billion deal that we did with the Commonwealth uh, that will start the build of our renewable energy zones and underwrite the construction of the transmission lines that will help bring that energy into the system. Uh, One thing Angus has been talking about for a long time is making sure there's enough dispatchable Electricity in the system, and I mean through his ANZ program, he knows the importance of underwriting. So uh, our strategy aligns with what the federal government has been saying, and uh, you know there's no there's no conflict between Ang- Angus and I in wanting to see cheap, reliable electricity for the businesses and uh, families of New South Wales.
1: Well, I hope that your underwriting program is a lot more successful than his underwriting program because his has been going for two years and hasn't actually delivered anything yet. Um, it, on your underwriting program, it's a really interesting approach that you've actually um, gotten there it seems to me that what you've done is that you've targeted the cost of capital and known that that's the key for assets like wind and solar farms which is basically all upfront costs and very little operating costs and that seems to me to be a clever idea what it seems to me then you're doing is that you're encouraging wind and solar developers to have ppas and contracts and sales contracts at least for the first five or ten years but then this underwriting agreement that you're providing is like a long tail that continues towards further into the life of the asset. But then it doesn't have to be a very high price, but it has to be enough just to sort of make the financiers think, okay, we're happy, we see a revenue in stream here for a long time, pretty certain, therefore we can bring down the cost of capital. Is that, am, I, am I summing you up correctly?
3: That, that, is, that is, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, the biggest cost... With these new technologies is the cost of capital so if you can reduce the discount rates as low as possible that means you get cheaper electricity prices Mm -hmm. and that's what this whole strategy has been about removing risk uh, for those investors so that they can build the infrastructure they have a long-term guarantee on uh, their investment and uh, as a result deliver cheaper electricity into the state Um, it's 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 innovative it targets the big problem and it takes advantage of the new technology that's emerging, uh, and doing it in a clever way.
1: Mm. Who's going to be running this? You've got this new consumer body that's going to be um, kind of like an independent body that's going to kind of deal with these contracts. Who? What, what sort of people are going to be running that? And, um, and, and to what extent will they be arms length from the government?
3: Uh, We want to make sure that we've got an independent consumer champion. I mean, that that position is going to be key to uh, keeping costs down in our scheme. Uh, At this stage, we'll be considering using AEMO to do that work, but uh, we're working through the process. We want to get a strong... Uh, regu- someone with a strong focus on keeping costs down, that's going to be a consumer champion that will ensure that we can coordinate the build of that firming, that transmission, uh, that generation and that storage in a responsible way uh, to ensure that's delivered before existing infrastructure comes to the end of its life.
2: Could I talk a little bit about the process from here? I suppose, first of all, the legislation has to be enacted and then I'm also interested to understand the timing in in the sense of I guess when the renewable energy zones, each of them in turn will be sufficiently complete to allow for the uh, for for the wind and solar uh, support
3: pro- investing process to go ahead. Yes, uh, David, I mean obviously we need to work through exactly. Uh, the timetable to bring on each of the renewable energy zones. We've already flagged that the Central West Arana uh, Renewable Energy Zone will be the first piece in the jigsaw. Uh, That work, we hope that uh, the, the first sod will be turned uh, in 2022 for that project and construction will be able to, to commence then. But we've also got the, uh, the New England Renewable Energy Zone and, again, we want to get that process expedited. Essentially, we, what we want to see is 12 gigs of uh, renewables installed in the system by 2030 and 2 gigs of long-duration storage. And that could take the form of... Uh, Pumped hydro or, or batteries, um, but you know we want to make sure that we're getting the best uh, return for investors. We want to get, make sure we're getting the infrastructure built that's going to deliver the cheapest form of reliable energy.
2: And on top of that, another element of the process that has two sides to it, that the one is that that your New South Wales is going to be developing its own transmission test and. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, because that's part, I suppose, of the needs for New South Wales energy security is it has to make sure there's enough int- intrastate within the state transmission to, to get it done. H- have, have you got a sense for uh, how, how when the legislation for that will go through and when trans when you when the process will kind of require TransGrid or to go ahead with some transmission investment and indeed how much in transmission investment might actually be required under this?
3: Yeah, we'll be giving ourselves the powers to uh, uh, deviate or derogate from the, the RIT-T process uh, in this package that we're putting into the Parliament this week. I want to see that transmission process sped up, but I want to see it in a way that will still protect consumers. We need to get a more... We, we need to get make sure that we're driving down the cost potentially getting more competition into the process uh, to make sure that the transmission lines that will be built can unlock those cheap, uh, reliable energy resources, but not in a way that's going to push up costs to consumers. So there's a lot of work to be done here, but we'll be giving us, looking to give ourselves the power through legislation introduced into the Parliament this week. Uh, just one quick thing before I hand back to Charles again. You
2: talk about potentially introducing more competition into the transmission which I think it'd be a wonderful thing if it could happen. So uh, it will be open to different people to to
3: potentially perhaps to bid for some of this transmission work. We're working through a range of ideas at the moment, but my focus is on making sure that consumers get the benefit of the cheapest build of infrastructure, which means lower household bills. So that's our focus. We'll look at a range of strategies to deliver on that outcome. Uh, But right now, We want to make sure that we've got the systems and processes, the market signals and the regulatory settings in place to coordinate the build of generation, storage, firming and transmission. And that's exactly what the Energy Roadmap package in the parliament uh, this week is seeking to do.
1: Just getting back onto the process about um, encouraging those new wind and solar developments i mean you're talking about an underwriting scheme but it's mostly focused on the back end of the life of the contract of, of the life of the asset so you're kind of relying on these people to come up with some sort of firm contract in the initial stages where, who are they going to be contracting with where are they going to get those um, ppas
3: from we think there's big opportunities uh, with government loan. We think there's big opportunities uh, with big users across the state. Uh, we don't think there's any shortage of opportunities to to get those PPAs. Uh, but we're backing that in with our underwriting scheme. And we think, you know, having done a lot of work with um, KPMG and Aurora Energy, um, who who were our advisors on this project, we think that uh, we've got the right policy settings and framework in place to be able to deliver that infrastructure that we Mm. need.
1: And have you thought about um, the the storage component? Because the storage component is not really yet valued by the market. Now you're obviously gonna have an underwriting component for that. Have you got any idea of what that might look like at this stage?
3: Yeah, well, there's two pieces of the jigsaw here. We need those two gigawatts of power on to, of, of long-duration storage on top of Snowy, Snowy 2.0. Uh, we'll, we've already announced that we'll be having a direct grant process to encourage... Uh, people to do the feasibility work on potential pumped hydro projects Uh, so there'll be uh, redeemable grants effectively Um, uh, so that will hope to, what we hope to achieve there is more competition with people putting forward proposals that are shovel ready for long duration storage projects so think pumped hydro and then we'll have uh, a competitive process, think reverse auctions uh, to make sure that we get the best uh, and cheapest deal for the consumers. So um, We're working through the process. We need this legislation passed through the Parliament this week uh, that will hopefully bring uh, online that long-duration storage that will set us up for the future.
1: Mm. You, you may have seen Victoria and South Australia competing for the title of um, the biggest battery in the country. Um, Victoria just two weeks ago did a, um, a, a large battery that will essentially upgrade the capacity of the link to New South Wales, and then AGL popped up last weekend um, with an even bigger battery, and most importantly, one of four hours storage, which is actually the first time we've seen such a big battery doing such long storage in. Um, in Australia. So that suggests to me that um, that's taking the place of the gas-peaking power stations. Um, Is New South Wales planning to come up with a slam dunk on both those states with a bigger battery?
3: Well, we've said that we want two gigawatts of long-duration storage, so I think that (laughs) trumps all of them.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, Uh, Matt, um, Matt, can I just... uh... Can I ask, uh,
2: sorry, uh, Giles, sorry, one of the things is that there's always losers out of any process. And and we talk about a lot of the winners and I can't tell you how supportive I am of such a big, bold vision that I think this is what government's here to do. It's not here to stuff around with little things. It's here to get the big jobs done. Um, But nevertheless, there will be some coal stations that are going to close that we're going to close anyway. And there are going to be people affected by that, just as there were in the car industry or farmers that get changed by productivity. But is there any, I mean, does it make it easier if there was a process to smooth everyone through that in terms of the transition on the labour force? The Labour Party talks about a just transition. I I don't know what just really means, but I, I do think that keeping as many people as happy as possible is the best way to get things done. I just wondered if you'd thought about that at all.
3: Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, this, is the, this is the reason that uh, dealing with climate change has not been successful in this country, because no one's come up with a plan to make sure no one's left behind. That's exactly what my plan intends to do. We realise that the workers in those power stations, uh, they need to be looked after. We need to make sure that those at the end of their careers are getting redundancies, for example. We need to make sure those at the start of their careers are getting the training and support that they need. Um, there's an important role for government to play in delivering on those things, just as there's an important role for industry to play. I think that if we can get this, manage this transition or uh, make sure that we don't leave anyone behind as we move from older technology to newer technology in, our, uh, in how we generate electricity, if we can create the right model for this, then we'll be able to make sure that as other industries uh, see new technology coming in, we'll be able to manage that process as well. So there's a lot at stake here. I want to make sure we get it right to deliver cheaper, reliable energy for the families and businesses of New South Wales. But we support those communities and those workers in transitioning to new opportunities, and for those that are at the end of their careers, that they're appropriately supported with appropriate redundancy packages and support. So there's a lot of work to do. Our package is quite, quite comprehensive, but there's a lot more that needs to be done, and we do need a whole of government, whole of community approach to deal with some of these big challenges.
2: One other little thing before I hand back to Giles, or maybe not quite so little, and I'm greedy here with my questions, but it's just that if there is any net cost to the consumers out of this, it's going to be borne by the distribution companies. And there's quite an argument that distribution tariffs aren't aren't fair because, for instance, solar households don't pay as much as... Uh, uh, as as non-solar households, uh, when I, I just throw it out there that when when you finish getting all this reform done, you might think about uh, reforming New South Wales distribution tariffs as well. But maybe I'll hand back to Giles. Probably no need to comment on that. It's just a thought. <laughs> thanks, Dave.
1: Well, I'm probably happy to comment about that, um, David. But anyway, look, just a couple more questions from me. Um, thanks, uh, Minister. This is probably the first time we've seen a really coherent and strong policy get multi party multilateral support um, from the conservative sections, from Labor, from the Greens, and all the more remarkable for the fact that it is actually quite an ambitious policy, probably one of the most ambitious and the most sort of progressive advance that we've actually seen in Australia to date. What's been the key that has allowed that to actually happen? I mean, no doubt your wonderful political skills, but I'm just wondering if there's something, you know, is it because there is a general acceptance now that the technology has moved to the point where really it's just like It's a no-brainer to shift to these technologies.
3: There's no doubt that the technology has evolved, uh, the economics have changed, uh, but also um, we're focused on making sure that we leave no one behind, that, uh, that this is, you know, we've got a story to tell our friends in the National Party about the opportunities this will create in the bush We've got a story to ensure that we bring Labor along with us. And I've been working closely with the union movement and also members of the Labor Party who are concerned about the impacts on their communities. Um, I've also made sure that we're talking to conservatives and moderates on the uh, liberal side of politics. Uh, so this is this is not um, you know, a small policy. This is a big policy. This is a nation-building policy uh, where we've tried to bring everyone along on the journey. There are enormous opportunities for New South Wales and indeed Australia in leading the way uh, when it comes to uh, adapting to deal with uh, climate change. Um, Yes, there are threats and this is a plan that helps to mitigate those threats but also take advantage of the huge opportunities. So I think this is how politics should be done. I'm genuinely trying to find a bipartisan way forward here and I think Hopefully, at the end of this week, you'll see whether or not that's been successful. But I haven't approached this to be, you know, something that you know the liberal side of politics has has done to win the war, or you know, over the labor side of politics. I've genuinely tried to find the policy settings uh, that are in the state's interest and in the nation's interest, and I think that's what's got broad support across the political spectrum.
1: What about um, green hydrogen? Uh, a lot of other states are talking about um, the possibilities, opportunities there. Um, I'm just wondering about New South Wales. You're probably going to be busy enough just replacing your existing black coal generators with um, enough capacity just to keep the keep the um, lights on in, in New South Wales before thinking about that. But what is your long term vision for for hydrogen export opportunities or or hydrogen to sort of transform manufacturing um, within within the state?
3: We know there are going to be huge markets for uh, the replacement of molecules. We think green hydrogen will be the key kind of transition fuel or the key future fuel. And, And I want to make sure New South Wales gets a big slice of the pie. But in order to do green hydrogen, you've got to modernise the grid and have a green electricity effectively. Uh, That cheap, renewable energy coming into the system, if we can modernise our grid and upgrade it when those green hydrogen opportunities are emerging, we can set ourselves up to be an energy and economic superpower. So the first step in getting green hydrogen done is upgrading the electricity infrastructure to get clean, cheap, reliable electricity. If you do that, then you're well-placed to win the hydrogen wars. And let me tell you, the race is on. I was over in uh, the UK in November last year, and uh, you know I spoke at an energy conference to talk about the opportunity to invest in green hydrogen here in New South Wales. And as soon as I finished speaking, the Minister for Energy in Morocco got up and said, You know, don't bother with Australia, we can do it here. So everyone sees the opportunity which is emerging. We know that South Korea, we know that Japan have seen green hydrogen is going to be key to them hitting net zero emissions. There's no place on the planet better place to take advantage of those opportunities than right here in New South Wales. And I'm trying to set us on the path to grab those opportunities and run with them and underwrite our prosperity for the future.
2: You mentioned all the stakeholders, and and... Uh, I think every country wants energy security, whether it's offshore wind in South Korea or whatever. But uh, we've, we've got some very big energy consumers here in New South Wales. Aluminium's an obvious one. Uh, how do you think they're going to uh, 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 be thinking, thinking about this policy? Is it going to you know, help to keep Tomago open, do you think,
3: for instance? Well, Absolutely, and I've been working very closely with Matt Howe at Tomago, just as I've been working with the team down at Blue Scope. Uh, what they want more than anything is long term certainty over their energy prices, and they need the lowest energy prices that they can get. Right now, before COVID, they were paying about 88 bucks per megawatt hour on average. Um, you know, if I can get the prices down to between $45 and $52, that's globally competitive. That's, you know, that's top top 10% of OECD nation's energy prices. That ensures that they've got a competitive advantage uh, when it comes to producing steel, producing aluminium, and also uh, it ensures that heavy manufacturing uh, can have a competitive advantage by setting up shop here in New South Wales. That's my vision for our state. That's my vision for our country. And uh, that's exactly why we're moving in this direction. So it's not just mums and dads that are going to be benefiting from cheap, reliable energy here. I'm hoping that heavy manufacturing will look to come here because they'll have a competitive advantage, particularly as we move to a low-carbon economy. So this is a nation-building policy. Uh, We are thinking big because that's what's required here to set Australia up for success, in a low-carbon world, and I think that uh, we owe nothing less than t- that to our kids and their kids.
2: I can support that. Back to you, Charles.
3: Uh, well,
1: I think I, I think that's a, a nice way to um, wrap up the um, interview, um, Minister. Look, congratulations on your plan and good luck with it, and um, hope it all goes ahead. And thank you very much for joining us today on the um, on the
3: podcast. Charles, David, thanks for all you do, and uh, thanks for having me on.
1: And that was uh, Matt Keane, the Energy Minister from New South Wales. Um, pretty interesting stuff, David. I think as we mentioned during the podcast, um, quite a clever policy both in terms of its political alignment and its ability to get people across sort of multi, uh, multiple parties with the uh, notable exception of One Nation, but um, also in the actual structure of this scheme and particularly the way it's sort of um, looking after the, the long tail of um of 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 revenue needs for these projects lowering the cost of capital and basically pushing prices down for everyone
2: i think uh the thing that continues to impress me the most is the ambition and the scale of the project uh uh, and the um, comprehensiveness of the solution that they're uh, proposing giles and i think uh We heard Matt talk a little bit about uh, the need to bring people along and so we've seen, whether you can call it a concession, but I mean a nod uh, towards the Hunter Valley uh, in terms of making that another renewable energy zone.
1: Well exactly, yes, that came out in the legislation which uh, Matt referred to in that interview, and that interview was actually done um, on the Monday, and then the uh, legislation was presented on the Tuesday so yes, um have actually added um Hunt, the Hunter Valley to the renewable energy zone. interestingly enough, that came from a labor m um, p which is um interesting in the context of Joel Fitz given from the federal Labor Party and uh, his decision to sit down from cabinet and throw bombs over the parapets into the climate policy so that was interesting enough but David, um, I think Matt explained himself pretty well. It's probably um, good in this time that we've got left just to talk some of the other about the other news uh, we've heard over the last week. Over the weekend, AGL announcing a big battery in South Australia. I found this really significant, uh, mostly because one, it's going to be cited at the um, excuse me for that doorbell ringing in the front there I, I, I found this exciting for a number of reasons one it's uh, going to be sited next to a, um, a gas generator in Adelaide and two it's going to be four hours of storage which I think is pointing to the use of battery storage as effectively peaking plants and not just providing grid services as they do mostly now
2: uh, yes well certainly that's the trend in the United States and the studies have been pointing in that direction uh, for, for some time uh, there 's no doubt that the um, unit unit capital cost of a four hour battery is quite a lot lower than that of a half hour or one hour battery for reasons I think i 've mentioned before. for instance, you only if you 're doing say a one, uh, one megawatt battery for the, and you, you only need a one megawatt inverter and the inverter doesn 't really care whether it 's running for one hour or four hours or ten hours for that matter, so you know the more hours you add on the lower the cost. Uh, The trouble in the past has been that there hasn't been enough revenue to justify the additional cost. Uh, But clearly that situation's changing. Nevertheless, having said all that, I was actually a bit surprised uh, uh, by the announcement in the sense that AGL's also just built its uh, Barker Inlet uh, power station, which is providing quite a lot of peaking services in the relatively small South Australian market. So I I kind of wonder exactly what this battery is going to do, but I've no doubt they've done all their studies. And it's great, I suppose, that AGL is doing this, but I still think myself overall, the scale of what uh, AGL and uh, Origin and P are contemplating is just too small relative to the market capitalization of the companies and in terms of, uh, you know, if they want to continue to be the leaders in the industry. I guess, Giles, we also saw uh, another uh, small investment uh, uh, feasibility study down in Tasmania by Origin and uh, Twiggy Forest
1: well there seems to be a bunch of them yes the hydrogen projects in tasmania now we've heard we heard from South Australia a couple of um, weeks ago um three renewable hubs um in that state with the possibility of um hosting another 12 gigawatts of wind and solar uh, with Twiggy forest of course the um, last week in his sort of global green hydrogen plans and uh now we have the tasmanian government unveiling um three studies that its funding plus the Fortescue studies. Look, I did a quick total and all all up, it's about one gigawatt of electrolysers proposed for Tasmania um, with, I'm not too sure how much uh, wind and hydro that would require to support it. I I suspect that they're not all going to go ahead and they might be competing with each other, um, both the origin and the And the twiggy forest one are um, based in bell bay and both sort of talk about green ammonia and exporting green hydrogen Origins talking about a 500 megawatt electrolyzer which is the biggest we've heard of so far in australia um and um and forest is talking about 250 megawatt electrolyzer and there's two other proposals for 100 megawatts but um that seems to be the big thing at the moment big batteries and um big green hydrogen
2: Yes. Well, it's, it's great to see the progress on the hydrogen. Uh, I'm yet to be convinced that the capital costs are really going to make the uh, product that attractive. I guess it really very much depends on the use. If you're using it as a, uh, for domestic uh, uh, ammonia production, maybe that's one thing and that's something I haven't studied very much. But as, again, we've discussed in the past, if you want to uh, ship the hydrogen overseas, then To Asia, I'm not sure that locating a plant in Tasmania, which is about 2,500 kilometres from Asia, further away than say uh, uh, Gladstone, uh, was necessarily the best thing. And I think all of these economics of hydrogen have have yet to be proved out. And uh, as as we've heard uh, others saying, uh, you know, every country in the world is chasing hydrogen like crazy at the moment. Personally, if I was an investor. Uh, I would want to see a very clear commercial contract to make sure I'm not one of, you know, like wheat farming. uh, When the wheat price is high one year, everyone plants wheat for the next year. And guess what? The price isn't so high. So, So I think we've got a long way to go on the hydrogen side, I think, still.
1: That's, that's, look, that's right, and but uh, I think it is sort of satisfying and slightly reassuring that um, Australian companies are at least pursuing the idea, so um, we may have a chance to compete, but as you say, it's going to be the transport costs, which are going to be the deciding factor in renewable hydrogen, but it's interesting, a lot of focus on ammonia as well, which I guess can support some sort of domestic um, uh, manufacturing industry or sort of conventional um, exports. I mean, ammonia is transported... Anyway, so if it's green ammonia, then that might have an advantage. Um, moving along, David, um, what else have we got? Um, it's, it's been a week of uh, in, interesting announcements. Um, Victoria have done an eight hundred million dollar energy efficiency um, scheme, which is which is good to hear. Good to hear from. I mean, I think um, some of the big companies have sort of been arguing against uh, energy efficiency for a long time, but they've spent a lot of money or committed a lot of money to sort of improving. Um, those things and expanding their home storage, um, home solar and, and storage uh, scheme. What else is caught your eye? Uh,
2: well, I thought the uh, um, uh, Blue Scope, um, uh, one steel, the one steel announcement uh, that, that, that Matt Keane talked about was uh, quite exciting and interesting to see that they're actually starting to make some products uh, to be to be used there as local manufacturing uh, it's it's probably not and i still uh, i guess that's about the main thing that's that's caught my eye i mean there's the, the money in the budget for the pumped hydro uh, to be developed in new south wales but that's still a long way to go victoria's going to spend 20 million on a three-year trial for zero emissions bus fleet um you, you, we, you talk in other places about electric vehicles, but I think that's part of the uh, missing point. And I guess the only other thing I really wanted to say is it's I, I, I'm a huge supporter of this New South Wales announcement uh, and policy, and I think it's been pretty carefully thought out and worked up. Uh, but I will say that uh, it does change the dynamics for other states uh, quite a lot. You know, if you're a solar farm and you can get financial support in New South Wales and you can't get it in South Australia, that's a bit of an issue. And uh, similarly, the, all this transmission that has been worked out by the integrated uh, systems plan has kind of been thrown out the uh, window in the sense that New South Wales is now accelerating all of this investment. Uh, I'm not against it, but I do think that there's still a great missing void in uh, guess where, Giles? You tell me where is the missing void and we'll see if we're on the same page, but I think we're going to be.
1: Well, I think I was just in that national capital the other day, so um, I think that's probably right where it was, and um, I drove through the electorate of, um, of of the Federal Minister, Angus Taylor, didn't bump into it at the coffee shop as I was charging my electric car, but I think that's exactly where the void is. is, that, is am I right, David?
2: You are right on the money, uh, Giles, as, as ever. So if we had some federal policy that, coordinated, you know, the federal government would just get behind what all the states are doing. And I don't mean get behind it in, in, in a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, which I actually think they are doing. I actually don't think the federal government is standing in the way of any of this. I think there are, that is actually a shift in policy from what we had a year ago uh, uh and, and and but it's still not enough you can't go from active opposition to passive oppos- to passive encouragement what we need is active leadership that's what you're in federal government for to provide leadership and that's also going to mean uh understanding that the uh, gas strategy that the federal government has, is 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 a strategy that isn't re, um, uh, directed at the electricity industry because gas in electricity doesn't have much of, uh, of a future by pretty much common consensus. But there is still a need for gas in things like plastics manufacturing. If you're not going to do it with green ammonia, or put it this way, you want all your um, uh, gas-consuming industries to still be around when there's a gas replacement like hydrogen or ammonia or green ammonia.
1: Absolutely. Well, we can't sort of hold our breath waiting for the federal government to um, sort of be a bit more explicit in its support of this transition, but um, we would welcome it, and of course we would welcome the federal energy minister Angus Taylor to join us on the podcast, as we have asked on many occasions. But um, still waiting. I think we've had just about every other mainland energy minister on the um, podcast, just sort of of, for for a sense of you know sort of complete the set, as it were. We'd um, we'd love to have Mr. Taylor on. Um, Anyway, David, I'm going to say thank you very much to our sponsors. Um, Evergen and Pylon to thank them for their ongoing support and of course our listeners and, um, and their feedback and, um, and to you David and uh, maybe till next week.
2: Yeah indeed it's a pleasure as always. Bye right for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy to use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay as you go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant. Generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole, Evergen software is powering the energy of the future.